You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Woo-hoo! Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. We're in for a really interesting episode tonight. We are going to be looking at the 40th anniversary of a movie that was fairly groundbreaking and very avant-garde for its time. We're talking, of course, about My Dinner with Andre, and it was... It was an interesting film, and I could understand why it got so much acclaim. And it's going to be very interesting to talk about because, you know, food is very special to the, my co-host and me. And, you know, it's always nice to enjoy a nice meal with this man anyway. You could always, you know, just say it. You could have a dinner with Mike and Mike. It's pretty cool. Of course, let's say howdy to my partner, Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy. So was those... Was that chicken that they had, or was that frog legs? I couldn't. <laughs> no, I don't think it was frog legs. I think it was. Uh, I don't know. They were little tiny chickens, or I don't know. I don't. Not sure exactly what. Uh, I don't speak French, so um, and I think they went to a uh, fancy New York French restaurant. Oh, uh, it was definitely yeah. snooty. It was definitely snooty. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but we won't be snooty when we talk about it. We'll try not to be. So I don't think we could be, even if we tried. So. Um, but yeah, so a lot of people, you know, spent, uh, their Thanksgiving having dinner with family. We had spent Thanksgiving having dinner with Andre. It was interesting. And, you know, I think I might've enjoyed the dinner with Andre a little more than some of the family members that I saw. Well, uh, sorry about that, but, uh, um, well, we hope everybody else out there had a, a great Thanksgiving and a relaxing weekend and didn't get too caught up in the whole madness of, of holiday shopping and Black Friday and whatnot. Yeah, or Cyber Monday or Giving Tuesday or Every know, day Small Businesses Saturday, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, it's it's all good, folks. But we definitely would love to hear from you guys. Feedback at earthstation1.com is our email address. Definitely call us or write us and just say, hey, good to see you guys. Happy holidays. We've got a few actually happy holidays from some folks out there who just, you know, thank you for what we're doing with the podcast and stuff like that. And for everyone who did write us, thank you so, so much. We do really appreciate it. And appreciating is two things that are very important to my and Mike's hearts. And we are very appreciative for you guys. And you could even say thankful. So it's pretty darn awesome. So, Definitely, you know, write us. Have you seen this movie before? Has anybody seen this movie? You know, it's going to be very interesting to see how many people actually listen to this episode to doing it because I had never seen it before. So this is going to be very interesting to do. And we have Ashley Pauls, who is one of our movie folk, joining us in a little bit to talk all about it also. But before we get there, let's also give a big thanks to our patrons, We are so thankful for all you patrons out there. We actually are so thankful. We are giving you guys a special treat. We are opening all our shows up to everyone for the month of December. So as of, you know, 
December 1st, all the shows that go live on the ESO network are available to all levels of the ESO Patreon as, you know, just a way of saying thank you and, you know, not having to wait the two days or such to listen to it. Like with the rest of the world, you get, you know, at the dollar level, you usually have to wait, but for the month of December, even the dollar level, people are going to get it 48 hours beforehand. I think that's just a little way of saying thank you for all the support you do. And you too can support the ESO network for as little as a dollar a month. That's not too bad, folks. Everyone's giving these days. Why not give a little bit to the ESO network? We bring you fine entertainment throughout the year. I know Tony and Joe have been bringing you uh, special episodes of the Watchathon for Ratsalon. Um, for the new season of Doctor Who, and boy, has it been getting really, really good. The new season is starting to wind down. Actually, the next week is our season final already with it. Uh, Lisa, I am really, really sad about that, but it's going to be very interesting, and you too can help support the ESO network, like we said, for at least a dollar a month. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO network. Also, we don't mention it enough. We also have a T Public store. If you want to help support the ESO network also and wear some very cool ESO network swag, we're going to be having sales throughout December at the ESO T Public store. And yes, you too can actually wear some amazing stuff. All you have to do is go to the ESO network website and there's a link right on top of the page that says T Public. And it'll take you to all our designs. Or you could search for ESO Network stuff on Public itself. Either way works. And, you know, you can wear some very cool stuff. Including now, I know the Monster Attack t-shirt is up on the Public store. So you too can actually enjoy one of the new shows that have joined the ESO Network. That's Public. And before we get out of here and start the show, let's give a big holiday shout-out to our friends at Tifosi Optical. Tifosi Optical sunglasses, safety goggles, sports glasses, blue light blocking glasses, and some amazing other things. It's pretty awesome what we got. You know, it's really cool to be able to check out Tifosi Opticals and as a way of saying thank you. We have a 10% off coupon, not just 10% off one pair of glasses, folks, 10% off your whole order. That's pretty good at the holidays, especially with Cyber Monday here right now. Definitely check it out, TifosiOptics.com. Tell them Earth Station One sent you. And now we're going to go into a segment that we haven't done for quite some time. We're doing comic book trivia, folks. That's right. Where the points don't matter, but everyone just has a fun time. And we'll see who wins, you know? It'll be an interesting thing. Um, We, of course, have Mike Gordon here as one of our contestants. Ready, howdy? Howdy, howdy. And joining us once again, from right from Chickentown himself, Kevin's here. Hi, guys. Yeah, great to be back for more comic book trivia. Uh, I, I feel like I do worse and worse every time we play this, so uh, your expectations should be sufficiently lowered. I go a different route, though. I, I'm not here to have fun. I'm not here to make friends. I take the game very, very seriously, and I'm probably going to get very angry as I lose. Well, you usually, you know, pull a knife on somebody you know, halfway <laughs> this through. This could end <laughs> in some kind of a virtual Zoom knife fight, yes. Well, yeah. unlike Banner, we actually like you when you're angry. <laughs> and of course, since Robert couldn't be here, we brought in another comic book expert. Let's welcome Michael Bailey back to the show. If uh, if we're going to do a knife fight, we got to do it like getting the beat it video. 
We what? tie our arms together and we just dance around. With why don't we? Why don't we just do it like the Eat It one and just have yeah. spoons instead? Yeah, a rubber chicken. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's more appropriate for Kevin. So yes, <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for having me. This is. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Oh, it's good to have you back, sir. All right. I'm going to flip a three-sided coin and see who goes first. <laughs> and Mike Gordon, you got the win. Mike Gordon, yes. this is a multiple. This could this could be a one, two, or three or four point question. Depends what <laughs> huh. depends what I feel like. Sure. Mike, what does Cerebo do? Does it locate mutants? Does it find infinity gems? Does it consume planets, or does it prevent mutations? I believe it, it does locates mutants. That's you, the uh, number one, right? Yeah. Whatever. Yep. Mm-hmm. You got your first point. Good job, sir. Yay. I'm having, and that's if I'm having never read an issue of X-Men in my life. <laughs> okay. All right. It's kind of a ringer. It was in the movie. So yeah, I was yeah. going to say, I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm not going to thank Brian Singer. Cause that leads to a whole lot of problems. <laughs> so is that the thing like professor X would use that to find a mutant? Yeah. Okay. The thing he put on his head. Okay. Yeah. Michael Bailey. Okay. This comic series ran from 1996 to 2001. It was about a guy getting bitten by an alien. His name was Tommy and he developed superpowers, including telepathy. Unlike most folks in the situation, Tommy doesn't become a hero or villain. He just keeps doing his job. What is that job, and what was the series for DC oh Comics? God. Whoa. Man, that's tough. From 1996 to 2001. Yes. Oh, that was Hitman. And he Bingo. Yep, exactly. Bingo. Nice. All right. I never read that. No, nope. I did. But I didn't remember that. <laughs> I didn't remember that being his origin. Okay. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was. He was in uh, Bloodlines. I was going to say. I knew of- he came out of one of those five week, you know, things. Right. Oh. Yeah. So, was that a Vertigo series, or was that just no? It was regular DC. Yeah. It was yeah. as close to a Vertigo series <laughs> as regular DC was going to get. Uh, uh, it was written by Garth Ennis. I was going to so. say, wasn't that Garth? Yeah, yeah. I think that the team that did that went on to do the boys. Yes, oh. they did. All right, Kevin. Yeah. What sound does Nightcrawler's teleportation make? Is it sniff? Is it bamf? Is it thwip? Or is it fap? <laughs> I, I, I think I got this one. Even though it's Marvel, yeah, when Night, Nightcrawler uh, does his transporty thing, it, it's a bamf. You got it. You got it. All right. Just skip that question. No one will get it. <laughs> All right. Um, skip that one, too. Uh, da, 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 okay. No. No. All right. No. And this concludes comic book exactly. trivia. It's a freeway tie. <laughs> All right. Mike Gordon. Who was the Avengers' first penciler after Jack Kirby left the series? Was it Neil Adams? Was it Gene Colan? Was it John Buscema or Don Heck? Who? I'm going to say it's uh, John Buscema. Sorry. Anyone want to steal? Uh, That was Don Heck. 
You got it. Wow. I would have guessed Buscema also. Good try, though. That's Good a try. tough one. That was yeah, really that was tough. Yep. Um, he started with issue nine hmm. wow. of the Avengers. Uh, oh, this is too easy. Okay, Michael Bailey. Uh, this goes actually to what we talked about at DragonCon this year. What was the first appearance of the Justice Society of America and name the the original members? Oh. <laughs> so that would be uh, All-Star Comics number three. And that would be Flash, Green Lantern, Dr. Fate, Hawkman, Johnny Thunder, The Atom, and The Sandman. And one more, I think. You missed one. Yep. Give me a second. Uh oh. <laughs> Running through my brain. And Spectre. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was about to say it wasn't Red Tornado. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you got it. Wow. Nicely done, Mike. Yes. Okay. All right. We're all sitting around that stupid round table together. Exactly. <laughs> Ellen, so much the, the range on that original team from uh, the the Adam to, to the Spectre. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kevin. Yeah. Which of the following villains did not originally appear in a Batman comic? Ooh. The Joker, Kite Man, Egghead, or Bookworm? Okay, did not originally appear in a Batman comic, so. I'm guessing that one of them originally appeared on the Batman TV show, and it could not possibly have been Joker or Kite Man. So what were the other two? Bookworm? Or Egghead. Or Egghead. Let's go Bookworm. You're right. But also, it could have been Egghead, too, because both of them. Oh. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's good. All right. Um, Okay. Mike Gordon. Which series featured the Coyote Gospel, a Looney Tunes-inspired story that turns the Coyote and Roadrunner into religious parables? Was it the Doom Patrol? Was it Supreme? Was it Animal Man or the Invisibles? I am just going to take a sort of shot of the dark here. Uh, Animal Man? Yes, you got it. (laughs) There were animals. Yes, right. (laughs) That's what I I went through. I'm like, okay, uh, yeah. A lot of those, almost, well, three out of the four were Grant Morrison stuff. Yeah, that that was a fantastic single issue of that that Morrison Animal Man run. Yeah, doing like like Coyote. It was like the Roadrunner and Coyote character come to life in Animal Man. Yeah, it, it's wow. really special. It was really cool issue. In, in issue five of um, of Animal Man, Coyote becomes a Christ-like messiah, saving his own world by dying repeatedly in Animal Man's world. You'll never watch the cartoons the same way again. It's a great <laughs> It is yep. a great story. I oh, yeah. That. That, that cover, that, that's one of those iconic cover images, the Brian Boland cover mm-hmm. of the Coyote, and he's like spread out like in the cross kind of shape. Wow! <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a eerie 
cover. And it was one of those covers that when, when there was all that controversy over the Swamp Thing issue that they canceled that Rick Veitch wanted to do. Meanwhile, they had published all these other kind of like Jesus type stories at the same time. <laughs> and one of them <laughs> featured the coyote. Mm-hmm. Really? <laughs> yep. All right. Michael Bailey. Who said this quote? How did someone like me ever have a sniveling weakling of a son like you? Someone like me ever have a sniveling weakling son like you? <sighs> I'm going to guess Norman Osborne. Damn, you're good. Yes. <laughs> and it wasn't for his acceptance of Father of the Year Award, of course. No, because he was a prick to Harry, uh, <laughs> in all honesty. Yes, I was going to guess my father. <laughs> <laughs> I remembered it, was, remembered it was comic book trivia. I thought I was at my therapist's office for a second there. Okay, Kevin. Yeah. What comic series by Alan Moore featured the city Neopolis? The city Neopolis? N-E-O-P-O-L-I-S. Neopolis. Okay. Ooh, or, let me think. Because Tom Strong, it was Millennium City. Neopolis. Man, I thought I'd know my, my Alan Moore pretty well. Um, oh, how about top ten? Bingo. Yeah. That was the uh, the world where, or the city where everybody in the whole city is a superhero. Mm-hmm. And there were so many cameos from so many different companies. Oh, it. it was amazing. The Gene Ha artwork, the little tiny details, just all those big crowd scenes. And yeah, every every character in every panel was a superhero. Either kind of crazy ones that they were making up, plus little tiny yeah, cameos. Like there was, there'd be like a crowd scene where and like a bunch of a doctor group would be crossing the street and it'd be like Doctor Who and Doctor Fate and a bunch of characters like that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's such a fun, amazing series. Yeah. I forgot the name of the city. Okay. Annapolis. All right. Which of the following ducks was created by Steve Gerber? Mike Gordon. Was it Donald Duck, Scrooge McDuck, Howard the Duck, or Destroyer Duck? It was Destroyer Duck. That I know, because, uh, yeah, he had problems with, uh, well, I don't say problems, uh, issues with Disney. So, well, Actually, he he also created Howard. He created both of them. Yeah, he created Howard. Yes. Uh, was that an option, too? Yeah, Howard was number uh, oh. three. Gotcha. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't hear. I, saw I like these questions where there's multiple correct answers. We've <laughs> 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 got a couple of those now. <laughs> okay. All right. Michael Bailey, what are the two major things that Walt Simonson did with the Mighty Thor at the very beginning of his run that changed the series forever? Uh, One is the creation of Beta Ray Bill, and the other would be giving Thor a secret identity with glasses. And the frog? <laughs> you got the first part right. But he, they got rid of Don, Donald Blake because that was his original secret identity. Yeah, and he had to get a new one. And, and there was uh, – he they put some glasses on him and he bumps into Clark Kent and they yeah. both knock their glasses off and there's a little bit of a kerfuffle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'd say Michael got it then. You were right yeah, the, he, he was you know, close. You were right there with the identity with the glasses. Yeah. Yep. Yep. yeah. All right. I'll give it to you. 
Yeah. Okay. I appreciate that. Oh, yes. come on. Plus, you I was straight. <laughs> you mentioned the frog, and that's important too. <laughs> that's very, very true. All right, Kevin. Yes. What aspect of the new gods are believed to be many uh, to be influenced on Star Wars? Orion being Darkseid's son, Darkseid's name, the source, or all of the above? <laughs> I'd say all of the above, yes. You got it. <laughs> yeah, we had the source, which, of course... Uh, the force. Can, uh, have the force. And, yeah, uh, the Luke-Darth Vader uh, comparison to uh, Orion and Darkseid. And, yeah, Darkseid was rather Darth Vader-ish in name and appearance. And if I'm remembering, Orion wielded the Astro Force. That's true. So, yeah, like basically what George Lucas <laughs> owes Jack Kirby some money. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever, I knew that uh, George pulled from a lot of different things, but I I guess I just never heard that he pulled from Kirby before. Yeah, wow. and I, I'm also not sure how direct it is. Like, is it just kind of one of those cases of just very similar concepts um, or was it a, I, was it really a direct lift of those things there was that book how star wars changed the world which is a really good book by the way because uh, it not only does like a complete history of star wars but it covers like other like aspects of star wars like the mm-hmm. 501st and they talk about his love of comic books and especially jack kirby ah okay i never really heard that so mm. okay i didn't know if they were just similar because of the hero's journey and all that kind of stuff so mike gordon who wrote a controversial storyline that saw Captain America lead Hydra? Was it Mark Wade? Was it Brian Michael Bendis? Was it Becky Coulon? Or Nick Spencer? I believe that was Nick Spencer. You got it right. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, because Nick Spencer. Because Nick Spencer. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the guy who, I'll say it out. I, I don't know if I've ever said this publicly, but he's the writer that made me stop collecting Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, wow. After, wow. After 40 years. <laughs> wow. Wow. So you went through all a slot. I did. And all a brand new day. Yep. And Nick Spencer was your bridge too far. <laughs> yep. 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 He made it through all like, the Clone Wars. I actually, I actually like Slot's writing. I didn't agree with a lot of the decisions that they were taking the character, but I had liked his, his writing as the, like the stories and stuff. But, um, but I, yeah, that's, I, at the time, I, I guess I was just, you know, tired at that point. So but I've been, okay. I went through, some, I went through some pretty brutal runs. Let's put it that way in those 40 years. And I, I needed a break. I, I gave up on Superman because of Bendis after 30. So I'm with you on that. <laughs> mm. I can understand that. All right. Michael Bailey. Who did all the covers of Astro City. Oh, Alex Ross. Okay. Kevin. Yes. What is Toomey a nickname for? Is it Thor's Hammer, Silver Surfer's Board, Supergirl's Dog, or Doctor Strange's Amulet? I've never heard of this before. <laughs> um, so, what was the one about Supergirl? Supergirl's Dog. Supergirl's dog. I didn't know Supergirl had a dog. I, I know Streaky, the super cat. Uh, so I'm going to assume it's either Silver Surfer or Doctor Strange. Uh, I'm going to say Silver Surfer. You got it right. 
Hey, that was a guess. Yes, I know. Silver Surfer's <laughs> board. Don Greenwood gave Toomey this name after hearing Surfer say, To me, my board. <laughs> uh. oh. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Sometimes you just, just got to get that script out. I'm just going to leave it at that. I mean, I love Stan, but, you know. Yeah. Okay. So right now, the points, as they don't count anyway, but as it stands, <laughs> Mike Gordon and Kevin have five points each. Michael Bailey has six. So it's a close, it's a neck and neck game. <laughs> Surprising no one. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, da, 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 da. All right. Mike Gordon, which of the following aliens lay eggs in other races? Is it the scrolls? Is it the brood? Is it the Kryptonians or the share? I desperately want to say Kryptonians, but I know that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be funny. Um, but uh, ask Lois. <laughs> um, uh, I will say I don't know much about them except that I believe that they are um, inspired by the movie Alien. So I will say the Brood. You got it. So, so, so the trick to Chris Claremont is you got to realize that every really cool thing he created for the X Men was inspired by something else. Oh, of course. <laughs> kind of like George Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Michael Bailey. How many issues of Fantastic Four did Stan and Jack work on together in the initial run? Are we counting annuals, or are we just counting like the, the regular, number, the, just the, the regular issue numbers, just okay. the issue numbers? I wouldn't do that to you. Hmm. I'm gonna say 104. <sighs> so close, 102. So I was I was flipping between those two. Uh, like series, I was like, is it 102 or 104? For some reason, 104. But you know, I was get, I was bound to get something wrong. From 1961 so. to 1970. Wow, that's a tough question. Issue the exact oh. number. Yeah. Well, exactly, but it's Michael Bailey. He knows everything. <laughs> I, I knew, Apparently, I, knew, I don't. Yeah, I knew it was in the neighborhood of 100, but... Uh, I have heard that's, that's one of the best runs ever in any series. It is. I've, ne I've never read it. Oh, dude. In 10 issues, they created the Inhumans, Galactus, Silver Surfer. I mean, it's just like Black Panther. It's just like mm. boom, boom, boom. 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 <laughs> Yeah, and it's just like Stan's like, yeah, now Jack, draw this, do this. How about this guy who eats planets? That would be great. The kids would love it. And he shows up with his artwork, and it's like, who's this dude on the surfboard? Well, I figured he'd have to have a hero, so he's on a surfboard. But can we give the board a really stupid name? <laughs> well, oh, this is isn't it during this run too, where they come up with that like meet uh, or introducing. Um, uh, him, because he comes at uh, isn't yeah. it the yes. name of uh, the guy who comes out of the cocoon, who later mm -hmm. becomes Adam Warlock. Yeah, and then I think there was a her as well, but I'm not yes. sure. Yeah, but I, I think that's because you know Cannibal Run took him, yes, uh, <laughs> and kind of ran with it. So, yeah, dum dum dum. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, JJ. I'm here to save the day. <laughs> All right. Kevin, in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, what is Ego the Living Planet revealed to be? Is he a mutant, 
a watcher, a celestial, or an internal? Oh, um, I know the movie. I love the movie. Um, what was he? I, I, I guess of those terms, which I don't particularly remember exactly what he was, celestial sounds pretty close, though. I'll go with celestial. You're right, sir. All right. He had excellent taste in music also. Oh, of course. <laughs> Brandy. She's a fine girl. <laughs> okay. Uh, da, da, da. We are tied at the end of the first round. Not too bad. Mm. All the right. second round's going to be even closer. Yeah, well, it's two <laughs> questions, so we have to do it. Because so, we've been going too long as it is. And the people at home are going, guys, I want to hear you. <laughs> yeah. Well, the main topic is my dinner with Andre. So I don't know how much they're looking forward to that. Or, or <laughs> to it. Oh, they're just going to skip it. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, Mr. Mike Gordon. Who is Calvin Ellis? He is the president of Earth-23, but there's also something else special about him. Uh, isn't he the – is he the Superman of some sort of parallel Elseworld Earth thing? Yep. Final Crisis number seven. Very good. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad reading those had some sort of reward for me. <laughs> yep. And he was part of uh, – Multiversity. I think they just brought him back recently, also in DC. Yeah, he's in the whole um, Infinite Frontier thing that's hmm. going on right now, from what I've seen. Okay. Michael Bailey. In the image series Cal, C-O-W-L, features superheroes who are also A, in the Union, B, from Mars, C, Vampires, or D, government agents? Never heard of this series. I'm going to guess in a union. <laughs> Damn, you're good, dude. You got it right. Uh, <laughs> what never series? heard of that either. There have been like 18,000 series from Image. Yeah. <laughs> of all different kinds. The variety has been astonishing, and I, I've read and loved many of them, but there's so many that just never heard of that. Okay. Kevin Eldridge, name the comic book series created by Ed Brubaker and Greg Rucka that ran from 2002 to 2006. Uh, uh, it sounds like a vertigo kind of thing, and it sounds like something I didn't read. Ed Brubaker and Greg Rucka? Yeah. Okay. They're both writers, I think. So this is something they co-wrote. Because uh, I'm thinking like there's a hundred bullets, there's whiteout, and I don't know what... I'm going to say 100 bullets. Nope. Ah. Anyone, anyone want to steal? I know this. Okay, Mike Gordon. I believe it's GCPD. Yep. Gotham Ooh. Central. Okay. Yeah. Good job, Mikey. Yeah. And Mike that Gordon a good takes, series. Mike Gordon takes the lead. All right. Mike Gordon. 
What field did Jack Kirby leave comics for in the late 1970s? Was it movies, animation, gallery art, or advertising? Well, he provided artwork for a fake movie. (laughs) (laughs) So, movies? Nope. Anyone want to steal? Yeah, Jack went into animation. Yep. He did. Doing like Thunder Thundar the Barbarian. Thundar, yeah. Animation. Kirby, uh, frustrated in his treatment at the hands of DC and Marvel, found more money and respect plus health insurance in animation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Marvel decided, we don't really like Jack anymore, and reused some of his animation stuff for the backup story of FF236 uh, and just said it was him. And yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Michael Bailey. Which unlikely character became known as War Thor in 2017? Was it Howard the Duck, J. Jonah Jameson, Volstag, or Loki? That was Volstag. You got it. Huh. Wow. I don't. Wow, I don't know this one. Any I don't know what any what of that Thor? meant. <laughs> Volstag, the rotund warrior, had almost has almost always been used as Falstaff-like comic relief previously in the comics. Yeah, and I'm going to. I didn't, I didn't remember that he was a Thor character for a while. And yeah, I'm going to thank my buddy Alan Middleton because he covered that issue on one of his shows, and that's the only reason I knew that. <laughs> It still counts. (laughs) All right. That's pretty darn cool. All right, Kevin. Which of the following was not a member of the Marvel family? Mary Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., Lieutenant Marvel, Hoppy the Marvel Bunny, or they all were? Yeah, I'd say if we're we're considering the extended Marvel family, then uh, uh, yeah, they all were. You got it. Yeah. Most importantly, Hoppy the Marvel Bunny. Yes. Who was Lieutenant Marvel? There was the Lieutenant. There was the three Lieutenant of them. Right? There was yes, three of there them. There was Tall, Fat, and and Hill. No, Hillbilly. Yes, yes, you're right. <laughs> yes. Tall Billy, wow. Fat Billy, and Hillbilly. Okay. This is the final question for each one of you. Okay. Uh, all right. <laughs> As you can tell, those are questions I'm skipping. <laughs> rip. Rip, rip, rip. <laughs> all right. Mike Gordon. Which hero was the nemesis of the horrible hand, a massive disembodied hand? Was it Mr. Justice, Ibis the Invincible, Captain America, or Slam Bradley? Just another one of those Grant Morrison things. Um, I've got a lot of Grant Morrison type questions tonight. Um, uh, I don't know this at all. Um, I will say Captain America. Mm, sorry, anyone want to steal? Man, I I never heard of this. <laughs> Slam Bradley. That that that's like a, not even a superhero character. It's yeah, like I, a. Jerry Siegel, uh, 
the action guy guard, from private detective. Yeah, from the thirties. <laughs> well, and then Ibis. Uh, I don't. I didn't recognize the first two characters you mentioned. Mr. Justice or Ibis the Invincible? Yeah, Mr. Justice. What is Mr. Justice? Is that one of those like Neil Adams <laughs> continuity characters? <laughs> I'm not even sure. It certainly sounds like it. It goes yeah. along with Ms. Mystic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I was going to guess, I would say Ibis the Invincible. You got it right. Yeah. All right. I don't even know who that is. Ibis the Invincible, a 4,000-year-old wizard from ancient Egypt who awakened in present day and often fought mystical foes. He was His character actually was bought up by DC, and he later became a villain in DC. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I but, think he was, was in that, that he was in that Swamp Thing story that brought all the mystic characters together. Yes. Oh, oh, maybe. Hmm. Was, that, was, was that a Fawcett character, like Captain yeah. Marvel? Yes, because yeah. mm-hmm. yeah, the yeah. first time he appeared in modern DC was the Justice League of America issue where they had Crisis on Earth S. Mm, okay. Where uh, Superman and Captain Marvel did not fight. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they drew it on the cover. He got the Earth 2 Batman cheering him on. It's great. <laughs> okay. Michael Belly. Which of the following was not the name of an actual Jack Kirby character? Ugly Mannerheim, Deadly Deadloss, Albert von Kilowatsky, or Baron von Evelstein. <laughs> They're a E, they all were. I mean, yeah, I was about to say, this, this is a tough one because yeah. they all sound like something. Um, I'm going to say Baron von Evelstein. And. Eh. Sorry. Uh, okay. Anyone want to try? On that one? <laughs> Not particularly, no. <laughs> I don't even know if I wanted to try to see. It was deadly. Yeah. De- it was deadly deadless. Deadly deadless. Yeah. Not one. Because I knew, I knew Mannheim was his. Oh, so uh, I never heard any of those names. Mm-hmm. And Mannheim was an inner gang character. Oh. He was, uh, in the post-crisis, he was, he was big in the Superman books in like the early 90s. And then kind of disappeared. Kurt Busiek brought him back, actually. Uh, now that I think about it, but why does that surprise anybody? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that means Evelstein was a really char- real character. <laughs> okay, final question of the night. What does and this is going out to Kevin? Okay, all right. What is the nickname Lois Lane has for? Superman or Clark Kent when she wants to basically call him a hick. <laughs> um, I think traditionally she would call him Smallville. Bingo. Yeah. Yay. And that finishes the game. It would have been really unfair to give me that question. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I didn't. <laughs> it was like, gee, should I give the man who hosts the Superman podcast that question? <laughs> <laughs> it's like here. Why a, don't I just give you all the DC questions? You know, that that was a close game. It was oh. a very t- close game. We have coming in third, Kevin. At he had seven points. Mike Gordon had nine points, and winning tonight, Mike Bailey at ten. Oh. 
Very, very close right, game. <laughs> that was pretty good, guys. Congratulations. That was really fun. Thank you guys for joining in tonight. And f- before we let you guys go tonight, Mr. Mike Bailey, where can people find you guys at? Uh, FortressofBailey2.com, where you can find Overlook Dark Knight, Superman and Lois tapes from Crisis to Crisis, Views from the Long Box, all kinds of comic book fun over there. Excellent. And of course, Kevin. Yeah, well, a couple of places. I guess we should say uh, for people that are into comic book kind of trivia like this, uh, coming soon to ESO's Patreon, we have a new show called Earth Station DCU Classics, where uh, Drew and I are going to be covering kind of, you know, old DC Comics stuff. And uh, the first issue will be out, our uh, first issue, first, first, first episode. <laughs> I guess we can call it an issue, right? It's comics. Uh, will be out sometime soon, I believe. But meanwhile, you can find me also right here on the ESO Network. Every week, my podcast is called The Flopcast, where we are just just being silly and nerdy every week. And I believe as this episode of Earth Station One comes out, we are just a couple of days away from Flopcast episode 500. Congratulations. Congratulations. Congratulations, man. Crazy. The fives, once you get to 500, it's it's a cakewalk from there, folks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, we, we, we're putting in like maybe – a, a, a tenth of the effort that we used to at first, and it'll be even less than that going forward. We're just going to coast from now on. That's that is do. awesome. That's what we do every week, so it's okay. Yep. Well, that's awesome, guys. Thank you guys for joining us so, so much. We do appreciate it. Let's take a quick break, and we are going to be back, and we are going to have our dinner with Andre. Yummy, yummy, yummy. I got love in my tummy, and I'm Hey everybody, Michelle here with an Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. With all the box sets and the videos that have come out, David Bowie's work is still very much with us. And there will not, thankfully, be a biopic, but there is a film in the works, and Variety is quoting sources as describing it as neither documentary nor biography, but an immersive cinematic experience. It is approved by the Bowie estate and will pull from thousands of hours of rare and unseen live footage. It's being made by documentary filmmaker Brett Morgan. Uh, He's known for several films, including The Kid Stays in the Picture, about Hollywood film producer Robert Evans, and Jane, about Jane Goodall. That one won two Emmys. He also made uh, the Kurt Cobain documentary in 2015 called Montage of Heck. He will write, edit, and produce this film. Uh, Bowie's producer, Tony Visconti, who worked on so many albums with him, is the music producer for this project. And the sound team, the Oscar-winning sound team behind Bohemian Rhapsody, is working on the film as well. Uh, No word on a release date. And a few weeks ago, I said that Sir Rod Stewart will be able to tour behind his new Tears of Hercules album, since he'd worked out a plea deal for his misdemeanor battery charges that came after he and his son allegedly beat up a security guard at a Palm Beach hotel, the Breakers Hotel, in 2019 for not letting them into a New Year's Eve party. They have this assault on video. Uh, That plea deal has been thrown out, so now they stand trial on January 25th next year on misdemeanor battery charges. They face up to a year in jail. Dude, you're 76 years old. Come on. 
And I'm a bit late with this, but I did want to mention it. Uh, Dean Stockwell, of course, passed away a few weeks ago. I did not know he was good friends with Neil Young. Uh, Stockwell uh, wrote a screenplay called After the Gold Rush, which, of course, Neil later used as an album title. And that screenplay inspired the song Southern Man. Uh, Dean Stockwell also designed the cover for Neil Young's uh, album American Stars and Bars. And in 82, uh, Neil Young and Stockwell collaborated on a screenplay direction and acting in a movie with uh, titled Human Highway. Um, it also had Devo in it. Devo worked with Neil Young on a version of Hey, Hey, My, My, Into the Black. Uh, the cast included Devo, Neil Young, uh, Dean Stockwell, and their pal Dennis Hopper. This must be a trip of a movie. Um, it was the first soundtrack um, music that Mark Mothersbaugh uh, composed for films was for Human Highway. So a little interesting trivia news there. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment. I finally, after a long hiatus, have posted a blog post at iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com, my reactions to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. That's all for this week. We'll catch you next time. How did watchdog groups with no experience in television take a controlling interest on Saturday morning television? When did Wonder Woman make her animated debut? Want to know why there were two competing Ghostbuster shows? How Atari changed the Saturday morning landscape? How did networks compete over similar genres at the same time? Find out all of this and more on the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. A proud member of the ESO Network. See... That's why I think that people have affairs. I mean, you know, in the theater, if you get good reviews, uh, you feel for a moment that you've got your hands on something. You know what I mean? I mean, it's a good feeling. But then that feeling goes quite quickly. And once again, you don't know quite what you should do next. What'll happen? Well, have an affair, and up to a certain point, you can really feel that you're on firm ground. You know, it's a sexual conquest to be made. There are different questions. <laughs> Does she enjoy the ears being nibbled? How intensely can you talk about Schopenhauer at some elegant French restaurant? Whatever nonsense it is. It's all, I think, to give you the semblance that there's firm earth. Well, have a real relationship with a person that goes on for years. That's completely unpredictable. Cut off all your ties to the land and you're sailing into the unknown, into uncharted seas. I mean, you know, people hold on to these images of father, mother, husband, wife, again, for the same reason, because they seem to provide some firm ground. But there's no wife there. What does that mean, a wife, a husband, a son? A baby holds your hands and then suddenly there's this huge man lifting you off the ground and then he's gone. Where's that sun? The life of a playwright is tough. Back to our station one. It is now time for us to talk all about my dinner with Andre. Are you sure you brought your appetites, folks? Because you're going to need it for this one. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, if you still have some room left over from the Thanksgiving, uh, we can actually uh, do this dinner with Andre, uh, which came out in 1981. 
um, and made uh, slow but slowly but surely made quite an impact on on the movie world. And uh, 1981 was, a, of course, a strange year, um, a big year. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of my favorite movies of all time, came out then. There was also History of the World Part 1, uh, For Your Eyes Only, Time Bandits, Excalibur. Tons of movies came out in 1981. Evil Dead came out. The very first Evil Dead movie came out in 1981. Heavy Metal, um, you know, so lots of ones. But we are we are here to talk about this little film that could, um, uh, My Dinner with Andre. And we have one half of our movie crew. Let's have dinner with Ashley. Ashley. Hello. Thank you for having me back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yes, we don't have Alex here uh, because there was basically no box office in this movie. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> like uh, you know, Alex usually provides us with the box office uh, numbers. And because this movie was limited, and I mean extremely limited in release, um, it almost closed after six weeks of lackluster box office in New York when it opened. But... Um, about uh, two months into the release, Ebert and Siskel uh, on their show gave it a huge review. Like they gave it rave reviews. In fact, Gene Siskel, I think, or sorry, Roger Ebert, I think, still thinks of it as, or uh, up, you know, up until his death, he, he still labeled this movie as one of his ten best movies of all time. Um, and uh, so that that generated a lot more interest, and uh, it did pretty well in art houses uh, across the country. Um, playing, I think, uh, eight weeks, uh, up to eight weeks in, in Los Angeles, making uh, almost $20,000, which doesn't seem like a lot, um, but back then it was a, something. <laughs> um, so, uh, but, you know, like I said, it, it got a lot of acclaim. Um, it's got, not, it didn't actually win any Oscars, so it didn't get any big acclaim that way. But as far as, you know, when you look at the lists of things like, um, uh, you know, the Boston Society of Film Critics marked it as the best American film in 1982. Um, you know, um, it's got uh, Rotten Tomatoes has a 92% uh, based on 23 reviews for an average rating of 77.3 out of 10, which is, is great. Uh, I know that there's a lot of films that came out this summer that would love to have that kind of review. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, like I said, both, um, Ebert and Siskel would rank it as the fifth best and fourth best film of the entire eighties. Um, I mean, it was just, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's got a lot of acclaim. Uh, it's got a nice criterion edition to it. So if you're into, you know, criterion editions of movies, there's a really, uh, fantastic, uh, version that's, uh, produced by criterion with a lot of bonus materials. Plus it is available on HBO Max. I think it's part of that deal that they have with Criterion, which I, I think is how we all got to see it, right? So Yes. I don't think uh, I don't think I didn't see this when it first came in the theater. In fact, this is the first time I've got a chance to watch this movie. So I really don't think what twelve year old Mike would really be all that interested in this movie. I I don't know. I mean, you know, this also, you know, I should be I should note also this also is the same year that polyester came out. So um, two very, very low budget movies that really would have an impact on 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 like sort of cult status uh, and art house movies uh, kind of thing. We've already talked a little bit about polyester. I think what was that last year or so we did with uh, uh, on, with Darren with us. Right. We talked about John Waters. Um, and uh, yeah. yeah. So 
So, Ashley, you should be happy that we are not celebrating the 40th anniversary of polyester. <laughs> because we would never hear from a, Ashley ever again. That is a that is a wild, wild ride. Um, but I am curious um, what your thoughts were. Had you even was this film on your radar at all or what did you know or what did you expect going into this? Yeah, I think I had heard it before, but overall not necessarily familiar with it. It's definitely a film that's outside of my kind of cinematic comfort zone genres that I'm used to going to. So when we said that it was going to be on the schedule for ESO, I was really excited because like this is something totally different than I've ever seen before. And looking at some commentary about it online, um, someone compared it to it's more like a podcast almost of two really interesting people sitting down to have an extended discussion. And I thought that really resonated with me. I think this is a movie that you could even have like playing in the background. And even if you don't see the visuals, I think, you know, the sitting in the restaurant, being able to watch that part of the movie adds to the concept of what you're seeing, but you don't even necessarily have to see the visuals just to take part in the conversation. And I also thought it was fascinating to see um, the two main actors playing kind of fictionalized versions of themselves. Obviously, I was familiar with Wallace Shawn from The Princess Bride, and I believe he did say the word inconceivable in this movie, which made he me does. chuckle. Which I, made me oh, chuckle. I, was, I was giggling at that. I was so giggling. <laughs> yeah. And that's not a reference because he didn't even know it this time, right? Like, he doesn't know that's going to be his, 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 his catchphrase, right? So I got a good chuckle out of that. But yeah, it was nice to see him in a different type of role. And yeah, it was really just like, I felt like I was sitting in a restaurant and happened to be eavesdropping on this really interesting conversation. And so I thought it was a really interesting movie to watch. I wouldn't say necessarily like it's, you know, like an entertaining movie. Like when you sit down, you're going to watch like a Marvel movie or Star Wars, but it is a worthwhile movie, I think, for film fans to see. So I think there's a lot we can have to talk about tonight. Yeah, good, good. I'm glad. Um, Mike, what about you? What now? I I understand you hadn't seen this before either, but I would imagine this film is is kind of one that's been on your radar. Oh, it has completely been on my radar for years. I like eating at restaurants. Oh, I love eating restaurants. You know, can't you tell by my body? You know, you know it's... Restaurant and having good conversation, drinking wine, having just having a great time to talk to folks and everything has always been something right up my you know way of thinking. And this is right out of some very good avant-garde off-Broadway theater. And it reminded me watching it of that. You know, for years you know, I had been involved with the Seattle fringe theater scene and also involved with, you know, other theater when I lived in DC and in Baltimore, I had, you know, studied theater a little bit. And this reminded me of some of the one act plays, you know, that were just two people talking to each other and, you know, you know, soliloquies and talking and just going back and forth. It was very much that kind of genre. In some ways, you know, it also reminded me of people monologuing because some of these monologues that they were going back in conversations, um, one of the Andre conversations was almost 35 to 40 minutes long before Wallace had a chance to even talk. 
and you know and two courses of the meal were brought in that period and so it was just it was really interesting to see and we'll get i'm sure we'll get more into that later but yeah this has definitely been on my my when i agree completely when ashley said you know chuckled when you know wallace said inconceivable <laughs> and it was just like and it was just like oh that's funny so but yeah it was pretty awesome the, uh, yeah, I definitely – I hadn't thought about the podcasting thing, Ashley, and that's pretty amazing. That's a very modern take on it um, uh, because obviously that wasn't a thing when they wrote this. This is – you know, this to me, like – I felt like Mike does. It feels very theatrical. It could have been a play. It's written by two people who were interested in, play, you know, theater uh, in the New York area, um, off-Broadway kind of thing, and you can tell. And they're writing about their experiences. I mean – uh, you know, they, it's based loosely on them and one of them, they're both playwrights. Uh, so, um, and you kind of get the impression, um, certainly in this movie that they're two playwrights talking to each other, which is kind of interesting. Um, but it's also to me got a, I mean, I know that it was scripted, but it has this like feel of improv to it. Um, you know, like, um, what's the, uh, phrase in improv that they use a lot, uh, Mike, uh, to, to yes. And right. Yes. And yep. And it just feels like, you know, it's like, like every time Andre starts going into like all this stuff that's happened to him, he pauses and it, it's just like, well, it just goes, yes. And, and then he goes on and talks some more about all this other stuff. And it, it's crazy. Like, you know, some of the stuff and, you know, um, you're kind of, it's amazing to me. This movie's only made for less than half a million dollars, which even for that time was pretty cheap. Well, that must've just gone for the restaurant right there. Yeah. That was, that was the catering bill. Um, and, uh, that was a tip. Um, and, uh, is that what, uh, 20% of that is no, just kidding. Um, but, uh, you know, it just goes to show you, you know, you don't necessarily need a huge like budget, for CG and all this stuff to make a movie, right? You can just shoot a movie an hour and a half or whatever it is of two guys in a restaurant. And as long as what they're talking about is engaging, as long as the actors are engaging, um, because, you know, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to say I was literally on the edge of my seat, but I was anticipating a lot. Like I had no idea what was going to come out of Andre's mouth. Cause it's just like, he, like I, he could say anything. Um, because the stuff and that he, he was saying, did. yeah, <laughs> the stuff that he was saying was crazy, um, and you know the reaction shots. I, I think you're right to an extent, Ashley. Where I do agree with you, where it's like you, you just have this on and listen to it. You know, it could be an audio, right, a podcast or whatever. But I do appreciate the visuals as well, if for no other reason, because you do get Wallace's like face. You know, we get to see his reaction, and you're because he narrates it, you're kind of in the position of, and it's my dinner with Andre, not my dinner with Wally. So we're kind of put in Wallace's shoes. Right. And I think we're, we kind of identify with him. We're all trying to, you know, make a living, do our job, you know, this kind of thing. And we meet this guy that's just like doing stuff. That's like, I mean, crazy, <laughs> like, like, like stuff that you're just like, what? And and I and I thought Wallace was pretty restrained through most of it. Where I, I was, I would have been like, "What? <laughs> like, what did you say you just did? Like, you talked to I don't know. It stuff was so crazy. Um, 
so what did you make of so that's the first like act of the first part of this movie is this Andre like just talking about all these adventures that he has nonstop. He pretty much dominates the conversation. I don't even think he eats much. Um, I think the guy just kind of takes his food away and he doesn't really, he has like maybe four bites in the whole thing. Um, but uh, did you think it was nonsense or did you like, did you take anything from it, Ashley? Well, I think it's interesting to consider. Sometimes I found myself wondering like, is any of this real or is he making it up? But like, whether he's making it up or it's real, I think it's interesting to kind of ponder that question because I think it could honestly go either way. It is possible he had some really unique experiences like that, or he could just be using his creative imagination and making up all this stuff he wished he did. And yeah, either way I think is interesting. And uh, like you said, I feel like having Wally's response kind of grounds the movie, like you hear all this wild stuff. And then when Wally finally gets to um, express himself, he kind of like brings it back down to a more digestible level. Like it's great. You got to do all this, but you know, there's simple pleasures in life too. Like not everybody can go have this kind of transcendent experience, you know, traveling to all these exotic locations throughout the world. So mm. yeah, I thought that was, that was probably my most interesting takeaway is that the film doesn't necessarily tell us whether or not any of this is true, but it's interesting. And your interpretation of the film can change a little bit depending on which way, you, uh, which side of that you fall on. Very much so. And it was interesting because some of the topics they were getting into, especially later in the film, are touching relative into society even today. Oh, for sure. And oh, yes. And it was just like <laughs> both Judy and I, you know, we had been, you know, on our computers and watching at the same time. And by by like the last 45 minutes, we were riveted to the conversation because the stuff Andre and actually Wallace were saying were so true in today's society. And yeah. it was just, and it was just, it was just amazing to hear back in 1981. Yeah. 40 years was, ago. Yeah. 40 years ago, some of the stuff that they were talking about is just as relevant, if not even more relevant today. Um, a lot of this talk about how people are disconnected from things, um, how people are afraid to live. Uh, they live in fear. Uh, they make their decisions based on living in, with fear. Uh, I do find it interesting that Wallace Shawn said one of the reasons why he wrote this and, and created that character, that version of himself was so he could um, exercise that from him. Like he thought if he portrayed this character that lived in fear all the time that, and put that down on film, that it would not be part of him anymore. It would just exist on its own and he wouldn't have to, I don't know. I think that's kind of uh, you know wishful thinking on his part, but um I mean, obviously, it did get him him some attention, and he became a great character actor uh, and appeared in a lot of things. Uh, uh, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, and uh, Princess Bride, as you already mentioned. Lots he was of also Murphy Brown's arch enemy on the show, Murphy Brown. Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, <laughs> so uh, a very talented guy, very talented actor, although we tend to think of him as a character actor, not as a playwright um and uh you know and this in this film shows that he's he's capable of some pretty deep thoughts um but yeah i do like that interplay i also found it interesting too that uh the film's directed by louis mal which is 
pretty incredible. Um, he is a uh, French filmmaker of some renown. And, and, you know, when he got wind of this script, somehow he wanted to direct it. And it just like blew uh, the creator's minds away because they had, they were like, why would this like big time French director want to direct us? Um, and I guess he originally thought it like he wanted to recast them. You know, he wanted to have like Robert Redford and, I don't know, Paul Newman or somebody like in, in the lead roles. And, and, and the two creators were like, no, like, uh, you know, and I think, I think that would have, it would have been interesting. Sure. And I'm not saying that they, those actors couldn't have handled these roles, but you know, I think as Alex has talked about, well, many times before, it's like when you see big names and stuff, sometimes it takes it out of, it takes it out of, it takes the, uh, the, um, uh, the effectiveness out of the characters, would you say? Oh, yeah, I totally agree. It would have been more about, hey, look, it's Robert Redford and whoever having an interesting conversation versus I really like it's they're playing fictionalized versions of themselves. So, again, you wonder, like, how much of themselves do they truly put in this part? What's being exaggerated? I think it gives it some authenticity. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's very interesting how the pendulum swings. You know, it's like, you know, we got Andre talking about all these crazy things that he's been doing in the first part of the movie. And then it kind of, they go back and forth a little bit. And then it's sort of like the tail end is where Wallace kind of rants about like, he finally calls him on it, on his BS. You know, he finally just says like, you know, all this stuff that you're talking about, if you want me to be honest with you, like, that's crazy. Like, 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 uh, like, why are you doing all of that? Like, why do you need to go to these places, these exotic places to appreciate life or to live life or to do these things? Why can't you do that? Like at home or, you know, in New York or wherever, like, why does that have to be the case? And it's very like, some of that stuff is really interesting to, to think about as well. Um, I think this movie does make you think. Oh, very much so. There's so much to make you think about. The story he was telling about when he was in this ju- in the forest and they strap, you know, they blindfolded him and then took him to the grave and like partially buried him. Yeah, the Halloween like, thing. Yeah. yeah, and it was just like, "Oh my god." And th- but there's people out there that do that. That's the thing. <laughs> just for fun. Yeah, I would have. I would have been like, um, "What's the safe word?" Exactly. <laughs> I'm out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm out. No, no, I'm out. Nope, I'm done. Nope. Super Califragilistic. Nope, nope. Come on, get me out of here. This is yeah. the safe word. Come on. <laughs> nope, okay, no, boys, we're you. just kidding. We were kidding. You know. <laughs> you know, I've I've seen Blair Witch Project. I don't need to see what happens next. You know, and so it was. It was it was just some of the stories though, and it was almost like Andre was, you know, he was so dissatisfied with life and trying to find all these experiences that he was trying to feel alive, and it was and looking at Wallace's reactions, just his face, like you had mentioned, Mike, it was just amazing. You know, the reactions to this and the feeding into it. No, I wouldn't be able to eat sitting with this man in this discussion. You know, I'd be like, what the hell are you talking about, dude? Check, please. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And there was a couple times that Wallace made eye contact with the waiter. Like, 
Yeah. Are you listening to this stuff? <laughs> Are you hearing this? <laughs> <laughs> and the waiter was just like, oh, he's at it again, you know, because it's obviously not the first time Andre has been in there, too, right. to do stuff like this. Right. Yeah. Um, I do find it interesting, too, that Miles said that, you know, I mean, he's directing two people for like, you know, over an hour and a half or whatever. And, you know, it, he has to select his the camera angles and everything. He said certain camera angles. It took two weeks to shoot this, I guess. And, um, you know, certain camera angles made Andre look like, you know, he was you would you would take him less seriously while other camera angles like were more effective in his storytelling. I thought that was really interesting that he, they were playing around with that. So visually, you know, there it does matter. You know, you can't just like slap a camera on someplace and just go like, OK, I'm just going to film this and see where it goes. Um, you know, it takes some skill to be um, to see what is going to be more effective. You know, so there's a lot of things at play here from a, a simple, you know, you think, oh, it's just a movie with, you know, two guys in a restaurant. Anybody can shoot that. And, you know, but I don't I think it's one of those things where it's so simple. It's kind of like, uh, you know, when you look at an Andy Warhol, like picture of a soup can or whatever, and everybody's like, ah, I could have done that. That's easy. And you're like, yeah, but you didn't, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, but like he, he you know, and 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 that's what these guys did. And, uh, you know, I think that was probably, you know, obviously you have to have two compelling characters because otherwise it doesn't work. But I, I can recall, um, Jay, uh, John Michael, uh, Jay Michael Straczynski, right. Uh, the guy who created Babylon five and everything. One of the things that he talks about with writing, particularly when it comes to characters that I always keep in mind is that, whenever you're developing characters, you should make sure that if they're stuck, if there are two characters that are stuck in an elevator together, that you can write an interesting scene. And, uh, and I think that this movie, you know, kind of takes that to the extreme where it's like, okay, they're not, you know, they're at a restaurant, but this, it's just the two of them and having this discussion. And I think maybe it is kind of over the top with Andre's stuff. Like maybe you could cut a third or half of that stuff and it's still effective. Um, Cause I, you know, it's almost like it's so outlandish at some points. I think you kind of, I, I kind of tuned out cause I was just like, I, I don't know what he's talking about here. <laughs> like, it's just crazy. You know, when he was talking about like going into the woods and like whatever and doing stuff and, and, and working with all these people and things would happen. And I was just like, I don't I don't know what he's talking about, really. Um, but once they get into the well, the Halloween story is terrifying. Like that's the that's the one he ends with. And that's the most compelling story, Mike. I think you called it. That's like the most terrifying story. Oh, it completely was strapping to gurneys being, you know, walking naked through the woods and then being shrouded in a white sheet. It was like, oh, there's human sacrifice coming, folks. You know? <laughs> yeah, people were disappearing one by one in the group. And then finally it was his turn. I'm like, oh, man, no, no. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what about any of the other sort of imagery that uh, he was coming up with as far as Andre's stories. Ashley, was there anything else that struck you as well? Just the idea of 
the freedom he felt to go and live a really unconventional life. I think that would, it would be progressively harder and harder, especially now to do that, just to like drop off the grid, you know, no job, no health insurance, and then just go have these crazy, interesting experiences. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I don't think my bank account could uh, sustain me through all those wild adventures that he had. So just the, the fact that he was able to do that and you know did that necessarily make him happy in the end i think one of my favorite speeches was when uh wallace uh wally was talking about just the joy and the pleasure of an ordinary life when he was talking about the just the cup of coffee and the detail he went into that and it made like a cup of coffee coffee seemed like this grand gesture and but it was just like a simple little thing to him so I really liked hearing his uh, counterpoint to all of Andre's wackiness, kind of like bring it back down to earth saying, you've had these incredible experiences, but is it necessarily better than the sort of life I can enjoy here too? Like if you can't just appreciate some of the small pleasures, you maybe won't find meaning in some of the crazy stuff you did. Exactly what I picked up from it also. Literally, you know, Wallace going, you know, hey, it's all about the little things in life, you know, being able to share this with your wife, being able to, you know, do all these little things. Yeah, we're in a rough spot right now. And, you know, my wife has to work three nights as a waitress. But, you know, we're happy together. We're, you know, it wasn't like he was there bitching about his wife or anything like that. That never came up once or anything. And I was fully expecting something like that. And we didn't get it. And that, that impressed me so, so much about this. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Because, yeah, that's, uh, that is definitely like, because the whole thing that, I mean, he, both of them kind of agree that, um, that so many people are just on working on automatic. You know, I think that's how it's, you know, we said it relates to just as much today. Yeah. People are just going through the motions. They're just doing this. They're just doing that. They're getting up, they're going to work, they're driving whatever they're not driving. They're zooming They're what, you know, they're eating this, they're eating that they're doing what they're supposed to in terms of their obligations, you know, politically or health wise or whatever, but they're not really, tuned in they're not really they don't really know they're just doing what they're told or they're robots uh they're kind of watching stuff because you know they're supposed to be watching stuff and and they're not really enjoying life as much as just kind of like kind of just going through the motions with life and you know uh obviously andre's um answer to that is just break through the mold or you know, through the everyday and just go out and do weird stuff. <laughs> right. And hope, and you, you'll be able to find yourself. Whereas, whereas Wally's kind of like, no, no, you can, you can just, just pay attention to what's going on in, in the world and you're, we're in your world as it is. And you'll find, it's almost like those people that say like, there are miracles all around you. You just are blind to them because you take them for granted. But the, you know, the fact that you, the fact that the sun rises every day, I'm obviously that's, you know, there's science there too, but, but obviously like, you know, the, the fact that you go outside, it's a beautiful day, you know, maybe a butterfly flies by or whatever. And you're just like, that's like, that's magic. You know, you don't have to go to Ireland. You don't have to go to India. You don't have to go to all these places and experience like some just weird crap. 
um, there's, there's plenty to see right here where you just don't have to, you know, take life for granted like that. And yeah, I feel like watching this film, like the day before Thanksgiving was really nice timing because then the next day I went over to my aunt's house and a bunch of us sat around a table and we ended up like having a really long detailed conversation about a lot of topics. I tried to like purposely like eat slowly, enjoy the meal, just all the different flavors and just, you know, what a nice experience that is because normally on a night I'm just trying to eat as fast as I can so I can get to the next thing on my list. But it was really nice to just like slow down and savor a moment, kind of like they were talking about just connecting with people and not have any distractions around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, agree completely. And then for him to compare New York city to a self-imposed concentration camp. Mm. Yeah. That was like really powerful. And it was just like, but it, you know, you always hear people, oh, I always want to leave the city that, you know, I love living here, but it's time for us to go or we got to get out of here. And, but that could be, you could use that metaphor for everyone, you know, hey, I like living in Atlanta, but I want to live over here and everything. You're exiling yourself to being where you are, according to him, basically. I don't see it that, that same way. And, you know, then I started when he started mentioning about New York, images of escape from New York started popping into my head. <laughs> and it's like, oh, John Carpenter must have got the idea there. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that was an inspiration, but uh, maybe you never know. Um, I, I, I yeah, I think so, too. And I, I felt like this this really felt like a New York story. Oh, like, very much. So. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the two guys working in the theater meeting at this like fancy restaurant, having this discussion. It, you know, obviously the setting, cause we do see him arrive at the restaurant and we do see him leaving the restaurant. Um, uh, you know, I, I find it, I found it interesting that, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're sort of on, after the discussion, you're sort of, your senses are on a high alert because, you know, once he leaves, you're kind of like, what's going to happen now? Like, and he's taking, he decides to take a cab instead of walk. And you're like, you're like, why is he doing that? Like, you're like, he didn't have to pay for dinner. That's why. (laughs) Yeah. I was like thinking, I'm like, you know, when he got out as well, and I'm like, is he going to be able to afford his half of this check? Because I was thinking that too. (laughs) He he ordered initially the potato soup because that was probably the cheapest thing on the menu. But then they kept on bringing food and more food and the salad, the chicken. You know, and then the dessert and the coffee and he wanted, oh, I'll take some amaretto, you know, and mm-hmm. it was just like, man. And th- then the thing that really got me was at the very end where he, they both realized they were the last two people in that restaurant, which was really awesome. And, you know, they wrapped it up and everything because the wait staff was basically waiting for them to leave to finish up. A fancy restaurant th- like that is never going to ask, hey, we're closing up. You got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and everything. No, because they want their clientele back. And the great thing about it is the last line was telling his wife about his, you know, full conversation with Andre, his his dinner with Andre 
the perfect way to end it. There was no reason to do a soliloquy or, you know, something whimsical or something. It was nice and directly to the point. It, it blew me away with that. The other thing I noticed, too, is that, yeah, you mentioned about the food, and that's a good call because that reminds me, uh, especially when um, when Wally ordered the shot of amaretto. Um, you know, I was thinking about that, and I was like, okay, let's take, you know, words versus actions here. You know, Andre and Wally are having this discussion about how people are, like, just blindly doing things and just kind of doing things out of habit and not really stopping to enjoy things. I find it interesting that Andre is, like, talking, talking, talking. He's getting his his food, which is his fish pate, his his roasted quail with raisins, um, you know, and that kind of thing. And he's just kind of ignoring it. Um, he comes here all the time. Apparently, this is not his first time. They know him by name. So he comes to this restaurant all the time, probably orders the same thing and just like it talks and doesn't even notice his food, really, basically. Right. Whereas Wally is here for the first time. He doesn't really know what he's getting, but yet he eats it. He we constantly seeing him eating it. Um, and even at the end, he takes a shot of Amarillo because he's like, you know what? I don't get to do this very often, so I'm going to enjoy myself. So he's really appreciating the meal. He's taking time to appreciate the meal that's in front of him um, because he's not sure when he's going to do this again, whereas his friend is just taking it for granted. Oh, sure. And I was like, that's, that's just like, I mean, that goes to show you, like, even without the words that they're saying, you can tell the difference between these two people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh. Very much so, and even to the point where, when they were, you know, when they were discussing, and then the bill came, and you know, Andre pulled out this wad of cash from his wallet <laughs> to pay for it. This is obviously pre credit card day, and where it wasn't as you know common for people to take, you know, because now everyone has plastic. They just mm-hmm. about, you know, sure. I barely carry cash on me, and Wallace though pulls out his wallet, and you know. As any good proper host does. Yo, no, no, I'll cover this, you know. And it was just real interesting to see that he, Andre didn't even think twice or bat an eye. It's like, how dare you, you know, compare to what I'm saying, you know, you have to pay for your own meal type thing. He was a total gentleman about it. And I think he liked Wallace because Wallace was challenging him for what he was saying. And he was calling him on his BS. Yeah, he wasn't just well. Yeah, but he wasn't just like listening and and like saying yeah, okay, whatever, or or doing the reverse and going, man, you're weird. F you, you know. Like he wasn't just like dismissing him. He was really engaged. No, he was he was doing like you said earlier about improv. Yes, and you know, (laughs) exactly to his (laughs) conversation. He was he was doing the (laughs) who doesn't want to who doesn't want to have dinner with a guy who's just constantly going to feed you, right? Yeah, like he's literally like feeding him lines like, yes, and yes, and he's feeding him like lines like that. Right. Exactly. I can go on with these metaphors all night. Um. (laughs) And what I loved about it was such a thinking man's movie or, you know, thinking person, you know, whatever. But it was it was just so and it was so classic. I was like listening to it and watching it. And the reason I thought it sounded like a play, it sounded something more out of like what Beckett would have done, like waiting for Godot or something, you know, where it just wrote that no exit, right. Where it's just, where you just have these movies where they're just people talking, right. Or people in a situation like, um, um, Oh, there was that movie that I think it was based on a play with Albert Einstein and 
uh, Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio, and they were kind of in a room, hotel room together. Yep. That. Um, and it's just like, it's just these small sort of like what if scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, another play I think called uh, Walk in the Woods, which is about um, uh, JFK. I think JFK and uh, who was the um, the Russian uh, leader at the time? Oh, at the time? Uh, uh, it begins with an S, I think. Anyway, um, uh, uh, yeah, I didn't know there was going to be a history lesson here. Uh, you know, a quiz, a quiz on history. Uh, but but um, but they go in the, they go off in the woods and have a discussion. You know, like a like away from all the politics and stuff, and they have this discussion, and it's part of this play, and it's all fictional stuff. But it's like it's kind of just interesting, like taking these characters and putting them together. And and that's what makes you know for an hour or two. That's what makes like a, a a movie or something interesting, and some interesting stuff can come out of it. So and with Andre, you know, I think the only thing that you know, maybe the only thing that might have helped a little bit more, or that uh, if if I can be critical, is that I don't know if uh, Wally needed to be a playwright because I felt like he you know, we we want to be in his shoes. He's kind of an everyman kind of guy. So it might have been interesting if he was just something else that wasn't involved with the arts, you know. Um, but, you know, I mean, they, it is sort of loosely based on themselves. So uh, and the discussions that I guess they they had, I mean, in getting ready to work on this, they he the two writers or the two actors, really, because they're the performers in this, um, had these discussions for like weeks and weeks and weeks. And they took all that transcript of that discussion. They whittled it down to like 180 pages or whatever it was. And even then it was too long. And I think they, you know, that was a three hour thing. And Louis Mal's like, nobody's going to watch you guys sitting around for three hours. (laughs) Two hours was pushing it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's true. I don't think, you know, they would have had to have some pretty exciting, like, you know, like, I got to know the the incredible Hulk has to burst in the restaurant or something <laughs> would have had to happen. Right. In order to, for it to like, you know, but, um, so, uh, um, so, um, anything else of note that you, uh, noticed in the movie or you wanted to bring attention to Ashley? Um, I think we've kind of covered it. I just really liked how many different interesting little thought trails you could go down as you were watching this movie. Like we could probably do a series of podcasts about some of the different little anecdotes. Um, Yeah. Like you commented earlier talking about how much theater is changing, like what would these two have made with streaming services and just how now so much of cinema is blockbusters and then the inherent anxiety of art, you know, wondering, is anything I do relevant? You know, they were wondering, like, are we going to be able to stay employed in theater? What's the future like for this? So, yeah, just a lot of really deep questions that it raised. And um, I, yeah, you could spend a long time talking about what, even more what they discussed. Agreed. Uh, Two things that I, I thought that were interesting about the making of this is that even though it was like, you know, less than half a million to make, which, you know, even for that time, it's, it still was a lot of fun. And, uh, they had to raise the funds, even though they had a director, um, who was interested, a big name director. Um, uh, they, they, uh, so they, uh, two of the investors or two of the people that helped out 
One was Michael White, who also put uh, money into the Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, earlier, like a few years earlier. So uh, he he definitely uh, had an eye for helping out and funding um, cult classics, I guess you'd call it. Um, and speaking of cult classics, um, one of the persons who worked on it and helped do the a lot of the behind the scenes production stuff was uh, Floyd, um, Lloyd Kaufman from Trauma Films. Oh, yeah. Um, so you, and you wouldn't think of this as a trauma movie because, you know, that's the guy who made what toxic Avenger and, uh, Newcomb high and all that kind of stuff. Right. But, um, but, um, you know, he, uh, he was willing to like, you know, help out with this kind of movie too. And I don't know, there, it's sort of strange because on the one hand, I think that a lot of people think that in this current environment, uh, with movies and everything that movies like this won't get made because there's no return on it. Um, but as you pointed out, Ashley, I mean, this stuff is being done on a small level all the time now. So I don't know if it would be a special, um, but, um, Certainly, I think, you know, no matter what, you know, obviously, I don't think anybody, you know, should not like there should be a sequel, right? You know, my dessert with Andre, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> my lunch with Andre, my breakfast with Andre, you know, whatever. It's a trilogy. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, I know that there's been, you know, a lot of um, uh, references and uh, satires of this throughout the years. And uh, I think, um, but overall, is it something that you would recommend, Ashley, that uh, people check out or which is something you watch again, would watch again? Yeah, I mean, I would watch it again just because I'm sure that there's things that I missed the first time through or different conversations might stand out. And yeah, I think it's one of those films that if it strikes you as, I don't think that's the type of film I would ever watch, you know, just give it a chance. And I think that one of the beauties of streaming services now is that people can access a wider variety of films. Like this isn't one that you would necessarily go out to see in the theater, but you, know, you can find it on HBO Max. So yeah, just, I, I would encourage people to, to check it out and um, just see what you think. Yeah, yeah, especially if they haven't seen it. You know, obviously, you know, I mean, we didn't give a spoiler warning, but A, it's a 40-year-old movie, and B, it's like, what is <laughs> the spoiler going to be? Do they order dessert? Uh, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> like <laughs> you know. What if they had choked, for dessert, you will have to be spoiled for. No. Exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, who want, nobody wants to spoil the dessert. Um, uh, Mike, what about you? Is this something that you would watch again, or do you feel it lived up to the reputation? It definitely lives up to the reputation. I would eventually watch it again. I don't think I could watch it again right away. But I would also wouldn't mind reading a novelization of this either. Because mm -hmm. I think that would be pretty fascinating to see. You know, maybe go something maybe that goes into a little more in-depth about some of the stories that Andre was talking about. But, you know... I don't need to find out anything more about that Halloween story, though. You know, <laughs> know. As far as leave I'm that, concerned. Leave that one. Oh, leave that one completely <laughs> out. But, yeah, I definitely, you know, and this, like I said earlier, ties into such of my, lo my love of off-Broadway and independent theater and such. And it felt like that completely to me. And I definitely would recommend this to, for people to watch. 
Yeah, a good point, Mike, because if uh, not only would I be interested in watching the movie at some point again as well, um, but also if if a local company or whatever wanted to do a theatrical version of it, I would be interested to see that because I think it would be kind of fun to see other actors play these roles, especially since I do think that the discussion that they have is very relevant today. Like I said, even even as much as it was 40 years ago. So. So, well, very cool. Well, it was cool to go down this road uh, with you guys. I mean, I know it's outside of our wheelhouse, as you mentioned, Ashley, but I think uh, I think it's fun to go out. Uh, the, the, this whole movie, the premise is to go outside your wheelhouse, right? Exactly. <laughs> so so we went outside and went to dinner and uh, and now we're back. So uh, appreciate that. Uh, appreciate you guys, all of your thoughts, of course. And we want to hear your thoughts from you guys. If this is a movie or should we do more movies of this? Uh, you know, break out the Criterion collection now that it's on uh, HBO Max. Like, what else should we talk about? Um, let us know. And uh, we will be right back to close out the show. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the first two episodes of the Hawkeye series. We finally have a new live-action Marvel series. Hawkeye is following Clint after the events of Endgame and him trying to move on with his life after the Avengers, Ronan, and getting his family back from the snap. But the universe just seems to not want to let the poor man be. We are also introduced to Kate Bishop, a young girl who grew up in New York City and was saved by Hawkeye during the battle at Stark Tower in the first Avengers movie. Clint is in New York City to watch Rogers the Musical and spend some time with his kids. First off, I want to say I really want to see a Rogers the Musical now. What we saw had the same campy feel that the Spider-Man Broadway show had, and that was a really fun watch, and I am all here for that. Kate Bishop ends up going to a charity event, and there is a black market auction at it. Ronan's sword and suit are up for sale, and then the tracksuit mafia shows up. Kate starts fighting them, then puts on Ronan's suit, and craziness ensues from there. Her and Clint meet up, and we have the action-packed show that we have. Trying not to make this too spoilery, just in case some haven't seen it yet. Hawkeye comes out every Wednesday on Disney+, and will be six episodes long, so... We're going to get to see what happens to Hawkeye and Clint and Kate Bishop. And I'm excited to see where this show will lead us. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Do you know how fast you were going? Uh, sorry, officer. Uh, one episode every two weeks? Two weeks! Did you also know you're carrying a dangerously heavy load? Yes, sir, we do. We've got interviews, fight nights, film discussions, Desert Island DVDs, and lots more. I think we've got to take you down to the station. You do not have to write anything, but it may harm the Cosmic Pizza podcast if you do not mention, when questioned, something you later wanted in the promo or feedbacks. Anything you do say may be used in said feedback. Cosmic Pizza podcast is not about the cosmos, all about pizza. And that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. But before we get out of here, let's give a little shout out. Ink Marketing has from 
their friends over at Outland Entertainment, The Bridge to Elsewhere. Bridge to Elsewhere is alive on Kickstarter in this vastness of space. There's room for all types of adventures. Scientists seek to solve the mysteries of the universe. Explorers look for lost alien civilizations or new worlds to support life. Planet builders and planet smugglers create life and steal worlds. And some humans' spaceflights navigate with the help or hindrance of feline or feathered companions. The universe contains infinite possibilities, but while space is limited, it's the people who travel it that make their adventures worth reading, and many of their decisions that make happen on a bridge of a spaceship. Check out Bridge to Elsewhere. From Ink Pub slash bridge to nowhere check it out and help support their kickstarter which is ending the first week of december so check it out folks this is wrapping up real real soon and speaking of wrapping up real real soon it's time to wrap up this episode let's thank ashley for taking a little bit of dinner with us tonight oh thank you i always enjoy these episodes where we get to go back and look at a classic movie so it's always fun to do something a little bit different yeah. Uh, no. yeah. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Uh, so I got got to go here. <laughs> no, I think it, it, you said when you accepted the invite. You know, dinner was you know on you tonight. So <laughs> in the small print. <laughs> well, duh. Anything you want to shout out about before you know we have you start washing dishes tonight? Oh gosh, yeah. Um, so uh, if I blog over on the ESO podcast website, I recently wrote a. Uh, review of Ghostbusters and this week I'm wanting to take a look at the new Hawkeye series so hopefully we'll get that posted soon that's awesome I, I haven't seen Hawkeye yet so I'm very curious on you know I've been hearing good things about it so I'm very yeah, curious there, it's it. interesting and it definitely leans into the Christmas setting so <laughs> yeah, it definitely does yes yes well very cool that should be a ton of fun then and of course, Mr. Mike, we made it through another one, my friend. We did, and as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about? Yeah, no, not so much to shout out, but I want to just uh, pay tribute to um, a creative force that we lost recently, uh, and that is Stephen Sondheim, who, um, you know, most people know he's an American composer, lyricist, storyteller, um, but, uh, you know, he has affected... Uh, influenced pop culture more than I think most people would have any idea. Uh, you know, the song, some of the songs that he's written, uh, people just wouldn't, you know, they, they don't know that they were ever written by anybody because they just seem so like they're in, ingrained in the pop culture. Things like Send in the Clowns or um, uh, Everything's Coming Up Roses or, you know, uh, he wrote the lyrics for West Side Story, which is getting uh, a new version uh, pretty soon uh, from Steven Spielberg. Uh, Gypsy is another one. Um, I actually got a chance to see Gypsy a long time ago, a version of that with Tyne Daly in the, uh, not the title role, but the lead role, which is Gypsy's mom. Um, and uh, that was great. I've also got to see a little night music, which is a play that he did. I saw that when I was in London. Uh, unfortunately, I've never seen live the version of my favorite play of his, which is Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of uh, fleet street. It's been um, a uh, soundtrack that I've listened to uh, and loved my whole life. It's one of my favorites and I've never got the chance to see it live. So someday that's still something I uh, want to do on my bucket list. Um, but I actually did perform a Stephen Sondheim song um, in high school. We, uh, there was a sort of um, various musical variety 
uh, act kind of thing. And I and some other folks uh, did a version of Getting Married Today, which is from the play Company. And uh, I'm not saying I did it well. And so now that Stephen Sondheim is gone, I'm hoping he doesn't haunt me for it uh, because, uh, you know, uh, but I can say I did it. I actually performed a Sondheim song on stage. Uh, so I've got that feather in my cap and I'm going to keep it there. So um, but anyway, um, you know, I was really sad to learn that he passed. But man, talk about a guy whose legacy will have no trouble in being remembered. Nope, definitely not. He was a true tour de force of mid 20th century Broadway. And, you know, what you know and songs you probably didn't even realize that were, you know, that composed from him were just amazing. And it's it's a true loss. So rest in peace, sir. Very, very interesting. Um, Mine actually is a little bit of more music, too. Um, Judy and I, over the weekend, we had a chance to start checking out the Beatles documentary that Peter Jackson has been doing for Disney Plus. So good. It is so amazing. (laughs) And it is, we got done last night watching the second episode and it is just fantastic. Like the last half hour of the first episode, I was like, look, kept on watching George Harrison. I said, George Harrison does not look happy. And then, (laughs) and it was like, and then he said, I quit. And it was just like, <laughs> it's like, I'm going to lunch and I quit. And it's like, whoa. And, and Judy looked at me and was like, yep, he was unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> so it was pretty darn awesome. If you get a chance, folks, watch this documentary. It's if you have just everyone has Disney Plus pretty much. And it is free on it. It's long. I'm warning you. It's three parts. It's each seven, one is well over two hours. Yeah, it's it's a seven hour documentary that they broke into three parts, and but it is worth it. And the restoration they oh. did, it looks like you are right in the room with them, which is just stunning. And I highly, highly recommend it. And Ashley, have you seen this too? I have not seen um, the Beatles documentary. I think it looks amazing, but I have seen Peter Jackson's other documentary, They Shall Not Grow Old, where he restores oh, World War I footage, and it's absolutely incredible. So I'm assuming he's using some of the similar technology here. And yeah, it, he does. He's We know him as the director of Lord of the Rings, but based on seeing his World War I documentary, he does very well in that type of film as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, he no does a great he job. Does, you can tell he's got a passion for it. Oh god! Yeah. Oh yeah. And the sound is awesome. The music is awesome, and just seeing how young they were—they were not even out of their thirties at this point. Mm-hmm. And they at this point they they had the world at their fingertips. It's just pretty darn amazing. And I, for me, watching it, I never realized how much that Paul was the front man of the group. I always assumed it was John. And, you know, Paul is like, we're doing this, this, <laughs> it's this. Been a, there's been a conflict with that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you think? You think? Yeah, this, this is towards the end. So it's a really not only interesting documentary about how these creative folks got together and did music and some incredible music that, again, we take for granted because these are standards that we think of now. But back then they didn't exist. And these guys had to create them. And that's amazing. But also watching the band disintegrate at the same time. It's just 
it's an incredible documentary uh, and it's an incredible time. I'm, man, I'm glad the cameras and the mics were there. Oh, it was it was there to see. And this is over a three week period, folks. This is not like it was months and months or years of them falling apart. This is a three week period in January of, of 1969. It was, you know, it was amazing to see how quickly it was just combusting. And it was awesome. So definitely check out. I definitely would recommend it, folks. All right. Let's get out of here. And, you know, a way of saying happy holidays to everyone. Next week, we're having a music episode, and we are talking about holiday music. And so it should be a lot of fun to talk about. And, you know, might come from some of the rare stuff. And if anyone brings up that, damn, you know, I'll be home for Christmas, I'm going to throw something at somebody. So it should be cool. Yeah. I think it'll be a lot of fun. It'd be interesting to see what, you know, we'll have Ricky and Bambi, and we'll also have Michelle. So we'll have our usual music crew here. So it should be a lot of fun to do. And as always, thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find them at nsclivetv.com. Remember, you could also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Ms. Ashley Pauls, and of course, Mr. Mike Gordon, thanks again for listening. We'll see you here next time on Earth Station One. Stay safe, hug your loved ones, hope everyone had a fantastic Thanksgiving here in the States, and we'll see you next time on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace. And we are done. Boom. You've been listening to the Earth Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.